0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the First Loved Podcast. Last time I mentioned to you about almost able to call myself Dr. Mark Gordon-Fee. still so weird to say that. But I mentioned to you how my sister and I are going to be teaching a class together in the first week of January. And as a part of that, I had to prepare a syllabus, and she helped me out with all of that. Well, in the process of that conversation, I was sharing with Jareth what the order of the talks and how the groups would go and whatever. And I wanted to begin with this issue of Christ's likeness, of being made in his likeness. And if you've been listening to podcasts over time, you know that I think that is the essence of what discipleship is all about, that Jesus said in Luke 640, no servant is greater than his master, but when he is fully trained, he will be like the master. And then after that, we have Paul reminding us that In Romans 8, 29, that those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness or the image of his Son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And the idea there is that just as Jesus is the image of the Father and that then we are now predestined to be conformed to his likeness, which is to be in the likeness of God, but that Jesus is the first of who is truly imaging God in human form, and he's the first of many of us that would follow as we come into relationship with him and know him and love him, that we too would be conformed into the likeness of Jesus, which means to be in the likeness of God. Also, one of my favorite passages, 2 Corinthians 3.18, that we who with unveiled face behold the Lord's glory as in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. This is what God is doing, is working as we see Jesus and know Jesus and experience Jesus. We are continually being transformed from glory to glory, from one degree of likeness to a greater degree of likeness and more and more and more and more. And it's being done by the Spirit. So anyway, I just said to Cherith, I said that I wanted to begin the class where ahead of time, before they show up to class, they're supposed to ponder what does discipleship mean, what does spiritual formation mean, what does spiritual growth mean, and then finally, what do they think Christ-likeness is about? And so I was looking forward to having a discussion right off the bat that all of these things, formation, spiritual formation, is about becoming and loving like Jesus— and like God, and whether they'd ever contemplated that or thought about that clearly and what that might actually look like. Well, in the process of Cherith and I having a conversation about this, Cherith starts telling me this fascinating stuff. And I said, well, Cherith, you're going to start it off then. You're going to teach the first lecture based on this stuff, because clearly you own it, because you're just rattling it off at a thousand miles an hour like sister, like brother, or <laughs> like brother, like sister. I don't know who got it first, but Cherith and I could talk anybody right into the grave. And anyway, so she said, sure, I'd love to. But then she sent me a chapter from a book that it's actually written by a guy that I know that was a uh, my father mentored and taught, and he now teaches in seminary but he wrote this article called the new exodus new creational restoration of the image of god and it's a lengthy chapter but here's the part that i want you to hear today in light of the fact that god's goal for us is for us to become like jesus and i'll bring that to closure at the end of especially what that means to be made like jesus but here's what he wrote in his chapter based on someone else's research, but very, very compelling research. And again, it's so fun. As time goes by, more and more archaeology, they discover more and more things. It gives insight into things that we just didn't know about because the Bible is so far removed from our immediate culture. Well, this lady writes about the fact that in the ancient Near East cultures, they had this practice of enlivening, I guess is what I see here in the book, that in quotes, it's enlivening the image. And here's what that means. Now get a load of this. (laughs) First, the image would be formed, often in connection with sacred forests or gardens. Okay, keep that in mind. And it was in the temple palace, or in the temple or in the palace. This would be followed. So you got this picture, right? They've made something. This would be followed by a series of ritual acts of animation in which the eyes, ears, and mouth of the image would be opened, its limbs enabled, and the spirit of the deity invoked to indwell the image. And then he quotes this guy, this indwelling of the image by the fiery spirit of the deity was perhaps the crucial event, since it was only when this occurred, that the idol truly functioned as the deity's image. Finally, the enlivened image was installed in its temple where the deity could dwell among his people and daily provision could be made for his sustenance. Now, I hope maybe you can already, some of you may be driving or whatever and listening, but I hope you catch right away in a garden, something gets made that has eyes, ears, mouth, The spirit of the God comes and indwells it, and then it dwells among the people, and there's provision made. So he continues, now, if the climactic event was the installation of the image of the deity in its temple, and if we allow, and earlier he wrote that creation is God's temple palace, he says, it's surely significant that on the last day of creation— The crowning moment occurs when Yahweh declares, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. So God created humankind in His image, in the image of God He created them, male and female. He created them. Here's what he points out. We do not make a temple palace for Yahweh. He has made one for us. And it's not only the earth in its entirety, but Eden in particular. Hence the parallels between Eden and the tabernacle. We do not form Yahweh in our image. He makes us in His. We do not open His eyes, ears, and so on. Instead, He gives us sight, hearing, and ultimately fills us with His breath nor do we provide for him rather he has done lavishly so for us <laughs> right is that not crazy egypt and all the near eastern cultures they would make a god they the people would make a god an idol and then ask the god to open and they would they would what they would do these This ritual that would cause the ears, eyes, mouth to open and somehow that it could be active and animated. God reversed the whole thing. God reveals to Moses that it was just the opposite. I am the only true God. I made it all creation. In Isaiah, he says, heaven's my throne. The earth is my footstool creation all creation that's heavens is his throne well and a footstool where does a throne and footstool if it's not in the temple if it's not in a palace creation is God's palace he makes the earth and he makes us in it. he makes us and in a sense one guy actually writes says that we're as it were God's idol that he crafts us the physical representation of God. He makes us out of the ground, eyes, ears, mouth, limbs, and puts his spirit in us so that we can be like him and image him. Well, then the question is what does that mean? What does it mean to image? Well, he continues and says it's important to note that the image of the God was never intended to depict the deity's appearance, but instead to describe elements of the function and attributes of the deity. Images were probably pictograms rather than portraits. So therefore, he says, our embodied form is also integral to our functioning as Yahweh's image in this physical world. Furthermore, farther from being an inanimate object made of wood or stone, The image was indwelt by the very life of the deity, Yahweh, such that the image became the primary focus of His presence on the earth. It means that we are His primary focus of His presence, that we are supposed to be imaging in the form we understand, the form we know. His character, His kindness, His goodness, His faithfulness, all those kinds of actions of love We're supposed to be filling the planet with that. Well, you've heard me say that from time to time. Again, if you've listened over this last few years of doing podcasts, but here to find out that creation was the reversal of all the other religions that the Israelites would have known about, that Moses would have known about. And God says, no, they've got it all upside down. The real thing is that I fashioned you, you. This is why the psalmist says, who is man that you're mindful of him, that we're created a little lower than the angels. I mean, he's put such glory and such honor on us. And that the earth, his garden, his palace, his temple, that we would be in it, that the image would be in it, being like him to one another and filling the earth with joy, filling the earth with his glory. I just thought, God that is so unbelievably cool. Well, then as I was teaching about this at the discipleship school, and I began on Wednesday morning with them, the very first thing is that the goal of discipleship, the goal of spiritual formation is to be like Jesus, like God, which means to love like them, to be like them to one another, and especially to those around us. And that's another thing that in part of some of this other part of his chapter, and even in that other book I was telling you about in the last podcast, that God chose Abraham in order to bless the nations, that God was trying to create a people for himself that would love like he loves, that would show character like he has character, so that the rest of the nations would see such a radical difference and go, why do you live with such joy? Why such peace? Why do you honor? Why do you respect? Why do you care? Why do you show mercy and compassion? All these things would have intrigued them so that they would have wanted to come and know Yahweh, to know the God in whom that they were imaging to one another and to them. So I laid this out to the students in this discipleship school. This is the goal. And then I said, of course, Genesis one and two. It lasts for two chapters, and then the enemy comes and causes them lies to them, causes them first to think that God is withholding from them that somehow He's not good by keeping from them this one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Remember, creation was made good; good was all they knew. It was if they ate of that tree, they would not discover good; they would discover evil, and the contrast between good and evil. If they'd never ate, they would only have known good. And what's part of evil? Well, at the heart and soul of it, right? It's that Eve thinks about herself over against anything else, thinks about herself, and Adam was presumably present as well, and that their whole bent is, well, it's good for food, it's good for wisdom, it'll cause us to be like God, and so they eat. They disobey, they mistrust God, and think that being their own God which the crazy part was they were imaging God, but to be independent of him, to be their own God, to choose and decide to live in whatever way that they wish. And then it had been a long time since I'd said it, but when it came out of my mouth, speaking to the students that and I don't think it was original to me, but what greater way could Satan inflict pain on God, his enemy, than to go after his image bearers and pervert them so that they would actually image Satan himself. And write that Satan was described as being cast out of heaven because of pride, that he's called a murderer, he's called a liar, he's like the thief that steals and kills and destroys all of the evil that is perpetrated through human beings upon one another. Instead of the likeness and the love of God, they are imaging him to one another. And what greater way to inflict pain on God's heart. And you know that's true because in Genesis 6, right before the flood, God actually says that he was grieved, grieved that he had made man because every inclination of their heart was only evil all the time. How heartbreaking for God that Adam's And Eve and and all the descendants after were supposed to be living in all good as they were being like God who is good. And instead, the earth is filled with people disconnected from God, not knowing God and thinking they're their own God and making decisions of evil and harm. Not always, but you know what I mean. The earth is filled with this. Well, now you understand Jesus. Jesus comes on the planet and they see a human being who is acting in every way like God and does no evil, no evil whatsoever. And now Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. My words, my works, if you can't believe, believe on that at least. And now you understand why Jesus is calling us to become like him because he now, as the second Adam, he is the first of the new creation the first the first human that lives the human life that we were intended to live and now by the spirit we can be transformed so jesus is the first of all of as it were his descendants of which we all increasingly become image bearers to one another and particularly for the purpose of those outside the christian community that again they would see such a remarkable, extraordinary contrast between the way we love and live and the way they live, and mostly that it would be done in such a way that they would be drawn to, intrigued by, interested in, to go, you guys have a joy, a peace, a security, a care, a love, a faithfulness, on and on and on. What is it about you? How did you become this way? So, that at the end of this article, or this part of it anyway, the author says, it is imperative to understand what this means. Again, quoting a friend, as Jim Houston reminds us although we are self conscious beings, our destiny lies not in an individualistic self fulfillment or self glorification, but in our conforming to the capital other, namely the God in whose image. We are made. Oh, my brothers and sisters, that you would hear the Lord now say this to you. You whom I foreknew, I predestined you to become conformed to the image of my son, Jesus, because he is the firstborn among many, many brethren. Hear him again that he says, and I love it. In the message, Eugene Peterson says it this way, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. So, hear God's promise. Come with unveiled face, behold as in a mirror, my glory, especially as revealed in Jesus, so that I can transform you into that same image from glory to glory by my Spirit. Father, we just cry out to you. Lord, would you just encourage our hearts today that yes, that we would spend time with you, that we would see you, that we would enjoy you, that Holy Spirit, you would just come and have your way and your will and your work in our lives so that through our bodies we would image you truly image you to one another and especially to a lost and broken and wounded and hurting world lord father this is the amazing destiny identity that you have put on us lord would you move us compel us motivate us To be so much more proactive about asking you, Lord, where is there more areas in my life that you could transform me to be more in your likeness for the sake of my brothers and sisters, but also for the sake of a dying world. Father, we also say thank you for honoring us. I mean, ah, that you would do this with human beings. Indwell us and allow us the privilege of being loved by you so that we could image that love to one another so father touch us bless us empower us help us to step in more and more and more and more into this process of being transformed so that we truly can bring you honor and glory as we image you to one another and to the world god we ask you for this in jesus name amen god bless you all and have a great day